Hello, my name is Rosemary Milsom and I'm the director of the Newcastle Writers' Festival. Love Oz YA was recorded in 2017. Randa Adolfata, Kirsty Eager and Jacqueline Moriarty discuss how young adult fiction has grown up with host Emily Booth. Please enjoy. Um, so today we've got three authors for the Love Oz YA panel. Um, first we have Jacqueline Moriarty. Um, so Jacqueline is a prize-winning, best-selling author of novels for young adults and sometimes slightly older adults. Um, a former media and entertainment lawyer, Jacqueline's books include the Ashbury Brookfield series and the Colours of Madeline trilogy. Uh, the first two books in that trilogy were awarded the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award and the Queensland Literary Award. And the third book, The Tangle of Gold, has, a Tangle of Gold has just come out and completed that. Uh, next up, we have Kirsty Eager. So Kirsty writes young adult fiction and her debut novel, Raw Blue, won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award and her follow-up novels, Night Beach and Saltwater Vampires, were shortlisted for numerous literary awards. Her latest novel, Summer Skin, um, is a modern romance set with the hookup culture of campus life and has been described by Clementine Ford as the feminist love story girls are waiting for. Can anyone hear me? Is that better? Okay, cool. I'm like too short for microphones. <laughs> okay, um, and last up, Randa Abdul Fattah is a Muslim of Palestinian and Egyptian heritage. Uh, she studied arts law at Melbourne University um, and has used her writing as a medium for expressing her views about the occupation of Palestine, Australian Muslims, racism, Islamophobia, and multiculturalism. Uh, she's been published in The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, The ABC Religion and Ethics Online, New Matilda, and Al, Al Jazeera English. Um, her recent uh, novel, when Michael, Me when Michael Met Mina, um, recently won the People's Choice Award and the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards. Um, and the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Writing for Young Adults of 2017. So great panel here. If you're wondering why I'm here, uh, my name is Emily Booth. Um, I'm a bookseller and a scholar. My research area for my PhD is diversity and inclusion in Australian young adult fiction. Um, I also run a bunch of the youth programs out of my bookstore in Sydney. Um, so I thought we'd talk a bit today about the kind of uh, links between craft and community. We've obviously seen a lot of changes in the book community in the past couple of years. Um, and so Jacqueline debuted in 2000 with Feeling Sorry for Celia. Um, Rhonda debuted in 2005 with Does My Head Look Big in This? And Kirsty in 2009 with Raw Blue. Um, so I wanted to start with, I mean, that's a debut almost every five years. Um, what did you feel the expectations were for you when you debuted then, and what do you feel the expectations are from your readers now? Oh, do you want me to start? Okay. Um, well, with the first book, your expectations are so different to after you've been published. Um, just the fact that you're published is, also, is, is almost good enough. You know, like that, that, that for, you, for me anyway was absolutely exhilarating, and it had been a long sort of journey for me because I had written the draft of the book when I was in year nine, around 15 years old. So it had been something I revisited, that I started as a teenager and then revisited as an adult. Um, I was apprehensive, um, excited about it coming out. I felt it was quite topical because it was looking at growing up as an Australian Muslim teenage girl. Now, um, you know, sort of 11 books on when I write, there's, there are lots of things that go through my mind Part of that is the burden of representation, so feeling sometimes that people are categorising me as a Muslim writer rather than just a writer. Um, 
you know, seeing it, seeing me as um, as a category rather than that's being seen almost as an adjective, you know, one of many um, descriptors of my identity, and something that informs my writing. But 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 labelling it sometimes can be an issue, um, and I guess some some people assume that I only write about books to do with Muslim issues. Um, which, which I don't, but also, the, you know, for me, that's that in and of itself speaks to something because you're already considered to be writing outside the norm because you would never say to, you know, a white writer, you only write about white characters because a white character is seen as the normative, you know, but when you write someone who is outside, you know, on the margins, it's seen as sort of this exotic deviation from the norm. Um, so sometimes that can be a bit of an issue, sort of negotiating that in my mind when I write. Um, for me, it's funny when... So I'd done other things before I came to writing and um, I wrote Raw Blue, the novel. that I've, I've sort of written two manuscripts that didn't get there and they were definitely adult fiction. And then Raw Blue had gone to someone and they said, oh, this is actually YA. And I didn't know... I, I really didn't have a great definition of what YA was other than at that time I was reading... Um, a lot of M.T. Anderson, and he's a, a, an author in the States. And I just thought, oh, that must be where all the cool kids are. <laughs> so it was really nice. I thought, oh, cool, because most of the stuff I'd read like, at that time that was exciting me was probably what would have fit into that you know, category. Um, so I sort of came into it not, in some ways, blissfully ignorant and not knowing really what that was or um, just that that novel was there. And I think what I've... So what I've been surprised by was that there was a lot more freedom than I initially thought. But in, say now for books on, what I've found is that I think there's even more freedom now really to explore a whole range of things. And um, in terms of the community, I think there's a much stronger sense of community now in terms of your readership and people who are really into that work. Um, and I guess, I guess you guys would agree too. I think the age, like there's more recognition now in terms of... Um, when I started, I think people felt that YA was more about the age of the people that read the work, but actually it's more about, I guess, the ages of the protagonists, really. Mm. Um, if you wanted to have... I mean, it's a tricky thing to even define, and I don't know that we necessarily have to, but, yeah, to me, it's... Um, now, there's sort of... There's a whole range of people who read it, and they're all part of the community, and I, I found... Um, I did a festival last year, and I'd done it... I sort of had a four-year gap between books three and four, and in that four years, I was surprised at how much had changed because I'd sort of done the same, a panel at the same festival years before and it was very much in the adult program and a lot of people washed in there who didn't really... They just couldn't get into other sessions, so they washed into our panel, whereas four years later, it was a room full of people who were really passionate about YA literature and it was just lovely. It was so um, validating, actually, and it was so nice to be a part of that. So that's probably the change that I've noticed the most. Um, I'm, I'm a bit troubled by how many books you've written because you have written more than me, I think, in less a lot because I was number one here and... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really, really slack. Four years between books, so okay, it's, it's all right. Thank you. It's all right. You've seen it's not a competition, though, right? <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm having trouble. Can you hear me with this? Sorry. With my first book, I... It's all surreal to me because I did not really believe it was happening. 
the whole time. I thought it was a giant hoax. And I, so I just was smiling at everything that was happening, thinking the mo the, this more and more elaborate trick was being played on me, <laughs> where someone had called up and said, yes, we want to publish your book, and yes, it's going to be published in America and England, and it was getting bigger and bigger, and it was just, I was just smirking, waiting for... So it was almost the whole, whole year until eventually I said, you, you better stop. I, I don't think anybody... There is actually a greater chance that you got published than that somebody has put this much effort into producing a book and planting it in bookshops. And <laughs> so, yeah. So um, that's why when I think about my first publishing experience, I just think the whole thing was a joke and not real. And then over time, it has become more of a um, professional I've had grown to see myself more as a professional writer. Back then it was, this is pure pleasure and a dream come true to be published, and that's why it took so long to believe it was actually happening. And in a way, I've changed over the years to see, to be thinking more about the audience and to think about now, how do I package the next book? And then I've come back in the last year to thinking of writing the way that I used to because it has occurred to me that that's wrong to see it as a professional thing. And I used to be a very good girl when I was growing up, but now as a grown-up, I've become more and more defiant. So my publishers, um, I had a meeting with them a couple of years ago where they said, keep giving us contemporary realistic fiction. And <laughs> so I, went, I said, okay, and then I went home and wrote a, a fantasy trilogy. <laughs> So, and yeah, and they did it again. Okay, stop with the fantasy and so and do more. We want YA more. And I just finished writing um, a book for slightly younger kids about pirates. And so, so I'm defiant. But the community, I agree, it has become much stronger. I spent a few years in Canada and America in the middle of my writing career. And there was a very strong, vibrant YA community. And this was before, I think we weren't really even using the word YA. Mm. I mean, the expression YA, we were just saying novels for teenagers. Um, and now we have a good community where people meet. Um, in Melbourne did it first, I think, didn't they? But now yeah. Sydney is catching up. And people, the YA writers meet. and. Once a month, I never go along to the meeting, yeah. so I should not be allowed to talk about that. <laughs> I remember actually, um, in the when I first met my editors, the very first meeting I had with the publishers, and they said, "We think this is a book for young um, in young adult fiction," and I pretended to know what they were talking about. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I agree, <laughs> and I had no idea. I googled it when I got home. <laughs> um, okay, so over the like writing career, I when I got given this panel, everyone was like, wow, they're like really different authors. And I was like, that sounds like a challenge. So I was looking for some kind of unifying things um, in your work. And I noticed you've all kind of moved towards, I guess, stories that bring in like political elements into this, into the narrative. So like The Colors of Madeline has got this political upheaval in a fantastical kingdom. Um, and Runda, you've gone right from, from stories writing that are more like coming of age into something like When Michael Met Mina, which is really kind of directly tackling current issues in Australia. And Kirsty going on to um, stories about sexual freedom and culture of shaming on young women. Um, for any of you, was this like a conscious decision that you made with your craft as the kind of community involved and solidified, or it was just like the storytelling and these kind of things emerged? I think most of my books have been quite political, um, particularly the first uh, three. So, you know, I addressed, um, you know, Muslim identity, 
um, Lebanese Muslim identity in Sydney in the context of the Cronulla riots, but with fictional riots, and then the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. So, and then I sort of, you know, took a break from that and and sort of tried to explore my own sort of what what am I capable of creatively, and then I came back to to when Michael met Mina, but I never intended to write it. I was doing my PhD um, on Islamophobia and racism three years ago, and the idea came to me when I was. Um, I was looking at Islamophobia and racism from the point of view of the perpetrator. So I was attending an anti-refugee rally. And um, it was at that rally, just interviewing people, um, that the idea for the novel hit me because, I, because my research, my field work was to try and really get into the headspace of people who are anti-Muslim, anti-multiculturalism, anti-immigration, anti-refugees not very pleasant field work. Um, so sitting, having coffee with them, attending these rallies and speaking to them. And, it, you know, it occurred to me that what I was interested in creatively is to, to think about what it, what it would be like to be an adolescent socialised in that kind of a family environment where that's all you're hearing. And is that enough of an excuse? You know, my parents raised me this way. Um, you know, what would it take to, to actually recognise that your convictions are borrowed from your parents and that there's a point where you need to actually take responsibility for what you believe in and learn about what's happening in the world rather than just digesting what you're hearing at the family dinner table. So for me, it, it was inspired by that, um, by that sort of research. And I feel that all, m most works are political because for me, I, I, you know, the personal is political and um, it just ha so happens that it's topical. But, you know, you know even... a you know, a work of fantasy can can have so many political undertones. So for me, it's it's very much part of what I'm interested in doing with my writing. Yeah, I've, I'm um, I'm I would agree. For me as well, it's that thing. Um, I feel like in a way. So this latest novel I've got out is called Summer Skin, and it's um, set at a university college. And at the time, I don't know if you guys are the same, but usually when I when I finish something and I'm about to work on something else, there's, at least, there's usually at least two ideas that I'm sort of tossing up between, and I might start down a bit of each. But, yeah, Summer Skin was the thing I was absolutely really dying to write. That was the one, you know, and even probably my agent at the time wasn't that encouraging about it. It was the other one. But, yeah, it was the one that I felt really excited by and a bit scared of. So, that, for me, that's usually the sign that that's the thing you have to do. Mm. Um, and it was the collision of a couple of things. Um, I've, the, the thing at the moment I see is that we've got unprecedented access to sort of sexual content thanks to the internet, but what I don't see as much of is just really open and frank discussion to help people navigate all of that. Um, so I felt like I really wanted to write something that was really, really honest. Um, and the other thing I wanted to look at was I, I went to a university college and I had always sort of wanted to set something in a college because a, a college to me is very Lord of the Flies. You've got, um, <laughs> there's no parents. You've got 300, in my case, there were 300 of us living together, boys and girls. And so your peers sort of become your family, if you're lucky, they're a good family. Um, so I wanted that setting. And what surprised me when I went to research it is that the college experience really didn't seem to have changed much since I went through. And um, in some ways that's good, but in a lot of ways that was not good. And the thing that struck me when I went to college was that um, 
you were hit with, um, it, it sort of went from zero to 100 in terms of sexualization. So girls were expected to be incredibly sexy and all of these things, yet if they did anything, they got called all the bad names and ostracised. And that really didn't seem to have changed too much. And with the internet and social media, if anything, it, it was more um, prevalent, I guess. So that's what I sort of wanted to look at. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to explore too was I, I get very tired of our film and television stories because um, I'm sure a lot of people here have heard of the Bechdel test and that's, for those of you that haven't, it's just, it's just talking about how many um, female characters are there in a story and are they talking about um, subjects other than men, you know, are they human beings in their own right basically. And I get really sick of the film and TV representations of women because usually in terms of their own desires they're very passive and very submissive and I thought if you bring female desire into something it changes everything so I wanted to write a book that actually acknowledged that that um, as a teenager and as a girl you often feel um, things for people as well but if I look back I think some of the things I'm writing on there are a continuation of things that I started in Raw Blue which is my first novel and um, so for me, it just seems to be the, th the themes that I come back to. Certainly, I think my second and third books didn't really go there. But yeah, it's more, it must be something that I, I'm still trying to, if it, yeah, often when I'm writing, it's about, um, I don't feel like I've necessarily got something to say. It's more that I've got things I'm trying to understand. That's where I'm coming from. So it must be, I'm still trying to understand where we're at and why we're there, so. Um, and I, I love Kirsty's, um I, I love that about Kirsty's book. A lot of YA books, um, you're right, it's about the relationship between the boy and the girl and sex is something that you are trying to say no to or trying to avoid and then if you do have sex, you get pregnant and so just the exploration... And die. Or and die. die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the exploration of that female desire and female friendship in that book is fantastic and Rhonda's book, um, it was very funny because I, I was teaching a course on creative writing where, where I was talking about um, when you're writing for young adults, do not try to teach them something. Do not try to give them a message because they will see through it and, and you don't want to do that. You're just telling a story. And I came home from that course and opened when Michael went me and I went, oh, no, but you can do that if you are doing it um, so beautifully. And of course you can try and teach something if you have something that you are powerfully believe in and you want to tell people about if you do it as well as Rhonda did in that one then you can and of course Charles Dickens did that you can be political in a book so I was wrong in that class um, and it did remind me a lot of myself growing up with my right-wing father the arguments that I had with him at the dinner table and driving to work listen he would listen to Alan Jones and I would argue with Alan Jones and I think that's why I became a lawyer um, in the end because eventually I just wanted to keep arguing and ended up representing Alan Jones in a big um, hearing. <laughs> was my first big client actually. But um, for me, I did not set out to write a political book. I wanted, with this fantasy trilogy, I, I, the, the reason I started writing it was uh, because I was in a cafe in Montreal and I was working on um, my contemporary teen fiction and I had been given a notepad by a friend and it was um, covered in soft red um, velvet and I opened it up and there was a row of little colored pencils, each with their own pocket, which I hadn't known was there. And 
it, this was a wintry day in Montreal, so there was snow and ice outside, and it was silver and white, and I had um, my coffee and my chocolate croissant, and there was something magical about the snow and the ice and the colored pencils. So I decided that instead of working on my contemporary book, I would draw pictures of a kingdom. And so I drew, I drew a map, and I drew a lake of spells where you can fish and dive for spells, and I drew a... Um, a butterfly child who can fit into a locket, and I, and then I closed the book and got back to my work. But then for years I kept thinking of this kingdom, and I decided to call it the kingdom of cello, just because I like the word cello. And then um, one day I decided I want to write about that um, kingdom, and I want it to be about a girl who writes letters through a um, crack between our world and the kingdom of cello that opens up in a parking meter, and and she writes letters to a boy who lives in the farming community in the Kingdom of Cello. And it was only by, and so I wanted it to be about two different worlds and both of them ha have missing fathers. So it was, about, um, it was about this magical fantasy world, it was about missing parents. But then over time as I was writing it, you don't really know where stories come from, but it began to be about the fact that there was this, it, because what was interesting to me was the fact that there is this magical world right next to our world that we can't, that there's just a crack between, it's right there, but we are um, in eternity away from it because you can't get through to it. And so then I decided that people have been used to, in the 17th century, we used to know how to get through to the Kingdom of Cello, where they have a magical cello winds that blow away illness and, and they have colours that have come alive and so there's a lot of magic there but then when we brought the plague over to the kingdom of cello they shut, shut us out. So it became political in a way because I started thinking about people being shut out of other worlds that, um, and how that has affected both the kingdom of cello which has almost imploded because it's got too much magic and how our world has become colourless as a result. So it became political in a way because it was about borders and, and um, how important it is to have freedom of movement. And something that occurred to me when you're all speaking there, of course each of you have got like a kind of boy meets girl, girl meets boy kind of element to the story. But they're all such entirely different stories and being handled in like a different way. Do you feel that, I know a lot of people kind of have the rejection of the, you know, the idea of insta-love and that kind of thing. How has like crafting relationships changed for you as you've been working like in the area? Well, for me with, um, when Michael met Mina, it was really important that, um, I mean, like, th so there's Michael who's growing up in this family whose parents have founded a, an organisation called Aussie Values where they want to ban Muslims and multiculturalism and immigration. And um, it's set in the lower north shore of Sydney. Um, so it's a book, you know, it's a social commentary on race and class as well. And Mina is a refugee from Afghanistan who gains a scholarship to Michael's school and she moves from the western suburbs of Sydney in Auburn to the lower north shore. And... Um, you know, I didn't want it just to be, you know, I, I wanted to say something or to make some sort of social commentary as well in their relationship. I didn't want Minna to be the girl that rescues the white boy from his own racism. I wanted her to not have to carry the burden of educating, of, um, of humanising herself in order to be accepted by him. That was really important for me. So it was, you know, she's quite 
explicit with him that, that he has to figure things out on his own, that he has to do the work on his own. She's not going to rescue him. So I wanted to flip that narrative over because I think it's a narrative we say time and time again, particularly in film, um, uh, you know, where where you know the the people who are racialized are often doing the work of of humanizing themselves in order to avoid being racialized um, and it's the same with women as well you know that you have to do the hard work not to invite sexism so it was about putting the the responsibility and the burden back on the perpetrators to figure things out um, so for me that was really important with their relationship um, yeah you did that so beautifully. Thank you. Um, and I relate actually to what you're saying because for me it was similar. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, just, it's funny how you're not, um, you just don't see what you're doing half the time and it's when someone else says to you, so in this yeah. case, um, like, so Rule Blue, someone else said to me, oh, you've written YA. And I went, oh, have I? Great. <laughs> and Summerskin, my agent, read it and said, oh, you've written a love story. And I went, oh, have I? Great. <laughs> you know, I just, and then I redrafted it with that in mind. But um, yeah, I relate mm. because for me also, um, so if it's a love story, you've got an impediment to the two characters being together. And in my case, the impediment is that Jess, the main character, is very feminist and Mitch, the love interest, is a real sexist pig. And it truly is. He's not a necessarily a nice character. You know, he truly is a sexist pig. So, um, and that seemed to me... It was really important as well that Jess didn't save him, that the change came from Mitch um, and he understood um, things from her point of view more and more. But the other thing, um, what unlocked the book for me as well was um, when I realised, because I was looking at how heavily sexualised everything is now, uh, it occurred to me when I was writing it, well, really, in a way, when they first get together, it is very sexualised. And then actually the real risk for them, and I think the real risk for some of us today, just in general relationships, is intimacy. And actually, um, the whole idea for the book came from a conversation I had with a young guy I surf with, and he said to me, um, he'd met this girl that hooked up, he really, really liked her. And he said, I hope we get together again. And I said, well, aren't you gonna text her or call her or whatever and make that happen? And he said, oh no, I'm a bit worried. You know, it's much easier to have a one night stand than it is to tell someone you like them. And he didn't mean it in a horrible way. He genuinely was really not sure of how to proceed. And it just made me think, wow, sometimes just exposing that vulnerability is what's really, really tough. So for me, the, what unlocked the book then was that idea and the idea that in a way what I was doing was writing a romance in reverse. Because all that stuff happens up front, but the big risk is when he actually um, takes a hand for the first time and holds a hand. So, yeah. Um. Yes, and that's done beautifully in that book. I think um, I think that my earlier books, maybe I didn't understand boys very well, because I, I grew up in a family of five girls and one boy, but he was way down the bottom of the family, so he was no help. Um, <laughs> and I went to an all-girls Catholic school. And so when I started writing, I really felt like the only boys I know are people who have been my boyfriends in a way. Um, and so the boy characters were love interests in a way. So each book I've wanted, been trying to um, get inside the head of boys more. And I do things like, um, when I'm trying to get ideas, I go into cafes and try and listen into, or ride around on buses or the Sydney ferries and try to listen into conversations of young people. 
and it's really hard to get um, to listen into boys' conversations. They don't seem to be out in them about as much as girls just sitting around chatting. And I remember one day I was in a shopping center, um, sitting outside a shop waiting for someone, and there were a group of chairs nearby, and a group of teenage boys came towards me and sat down on the chairs, and I was so excited because I had my notepad out and pen already because I was already working, and these looked like really bad boys because they were all they all had um, tattoos and lots of piercings and and rough clothes, and I thought this is going to be perfect. I'm because they all came and settled down, and they looked so bad. I was ready to write down every word they said, and then one of them turned around and said. Oh, you're trying to work. Sorry, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> so they all moved away. So I'm still trying to figure out boys. But hopefully in this trilogy, I said, with this trilogy, I wanted Elliot to be a main character and not just a love interest. And he, so I, I really enjoyed getting to know him. And I also wanted to see whether they would get together because in fantasy books, it drives me crazy. And I know it drives teenagers crazy when... There is this automatic, the same in movies, books, anywhere there's an automatic, there's a girl and a boy and there's a crisis, there's an earthquake and now the girl and the boy are going to kiss. This um, drives you crazy that you have to have this, this um, sexual tension between the boy and the girl because you don't have to. But I just found they accidentally fell in love over the course of three books and that seemed to be okay because they were, they were sort of, she didn't really believe in him in the first book. In the second book they were just a little bit of chemistry and in the third book they got to know each other. So hopefully that's acceptable. I think we can all agree we're all doing good here. Um, so you all kind of um, have gotten into the head of different people for your most recent works as well. Um, and um, I was wondering in response to that, you've all also had your books published kind of like overseas. Um, so we've got one, Michael McMina, coming out, I believe, in May in America. It's The title is The Lines We Cross. It's going to be the new title. Um, we've had an announcement about Summer Skin, hopefully coming over to the US. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, um, of course, The Colours of Madeline is already out in the US as well, um, the full trilogy. Um, so what have the reactions to those stories been like from overseas and that kind of thing as opposed to the kind of local community? Well, um, so far, the reviews have been really great in America, and I think it's because um, it's very topical. So people are reading, you know, you know, Trump, you know, the Trump era and the rise of Trump um, and sort of all the commentary around refugees um, through this book and, and recognising. I mean, YA community in America is a lot more advanced than, than Australia. Like, the sort of recognition of what, what YA means in community and um, what it can do, I think, is just, you know, they've, they've sort of recognised it a lot, a lot earlier than in Australia. We're definitely catching up um, and it's never been a better time to be in YA than now, I think, because we have such a much a stronger community and sense of um, sort of, um, yeah, especially with Love YA and, and all these sorts of groups. Um, but yeah, so it's been really positive so far in America. The only thing about being published in America that can be a little um, frustrating, I don't know if you've experienced it yet, you probably have, is how there's real um, like resistance to, to to like an Australian sort of um, context. So there's sometimes you know, oh, but they're not going to understand this word, or they'll Americanize a lot of the words, and you know, it's back and forth. Almost you want to say, just let the, your readers think outside the American square. <laughs> let them go and Google what this means, you know. But there's there's this 
real fear that you cannot have an Australian colloquialism in there or you have to give the, the American version of it. I remember even with Does My Little Begin This, there was talk about sending it in Connecticut <laughs> in the beginning. I'm like, no, it's an Australian book. <laughs> you know, your, your readers are capable of reading about, a, you know, a context outside of America. Um, so that's only been, that's been amusing, the editing process. But um, yeah, but it's, so far it's been very well received. Um, for me, I'm a little bit different to these two because I've only been published in the UK, so Summer Skin will be the first book I've had available in the US, so I'm excited. And, um, yeah, I'm sort of, um, once again, it'll be interesting to see the editorial. Yeah. What about the censorship? Because they can be quiet. Oh, they're going to... This is the other yeah. thing, because this book really does go there and yeah. it does describe um, stuff in yeah. quite, you know, a lot of detail. And I wanted to do that, actually, because, yeah. in a sense, it's a reaction to porn, because I wanted to show what the real might be like rather mm -hmm. than um, screen sex, I guess. Um, but, yeah, apparently they're going to run with it um, very much the way it is. So, and apart yeah. from... I don't know how much Americanising will go mm. on. But it was interesting, even, um, the submission process, because then my adult was looking around for a publisher... My adult, my... Sorry, agent, was shopping around for a publisher. Um, we had lots of good stuff back on the writing, but they were worried because it is sort of goes there. And um, I just remember one of the things I got back was, oh, we really love it, we want to publish it, but on the condition that you change it from being in a college, put it in a boarding house, take out all the sex. <laughs> and I was thinking, um, there's nothing left. What's that? <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, but that's a different book. <laughs> so, yeah, so it will be very interesting to me to see what happens. I'm excited to see what happens oh. when you go to the States. But I am a bit scared too because of the fact that it... Yeah. could be the Naughty Girl book, I'm not sure. It yeah. depends on the publisher because my publisher's Scholastic. So I re remember very clearly the word hell was in the book and they said, no, that's a swear word. So we had to change it. <laughs> and it wasn't... There, there'll be a lot taken out yeah. of my book then. <laughs> <laughs> it could be because it's Wait Scholastic. It might be different. <laughs> yeah, it, I've, I've, um, it's um, Firewall and Friends, so I'm okay. not sure. They seem to be... The bar might be higher. Yeah, no, I think they're just... Yeah, I think they're yeah. prepared to take push stuff that might be a yeah. bit... Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. I, could, I haven't done the edit yet, yeah. so who knows. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely have found that with the American yeah. publishers and feeling like you are so disrespectful to your young people because <laughs> they can understand, because we grew up reading books set in America and England and there's something magical about... Mm. I mean, so then you get excited when you go to America and see squirrels for the first time yeah. because you've been reading about them and the food that they ate. I was very disappointed by root beer, though, when I tried <laughs> it first time in America. And Twinkles? Was it all and Twinkies, yeah. Twinkies, yeah. Twinkies. Yeah. Babysitter's yeah. Club. Yeah. 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 Um, but it has changed. I think America have changed over time. For, yeah. um, I guess in my first book there was someone who was talking about going to the Gap to kill herself. because yeah. And the Gap is a cliff outside of Sydney and the Gap is in a, a clothes shop in America. So yeah. that was reasonable <laughs> for yeah. them to want to change that. But over time they have... And there has also been reaction to... I remember there's a line um, in one of my books which is very important because it's a boy being as mean as he possibly can to a girl who's just written a letter to him telling her telling him all about herself, and he replies just with one line, eat shit and die, private school slag. So that is an important line to me, but my American editor wrote a big yikes in the column, you've got to change this, and my Australian editor called up and said, oh my God, I love that line. So there's a big contrast, but I feel like it's changing. And with international um, reaction, I always think of, I got a letter from a 15-year-old girl in Brazil, 
writing to tell me that she loved the Colors of Madeline trilogy, and she said, I used to think that I was the weirdest person in the world, and now I see that you are just as weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, so last thing from me, and then we'll go to some audience questions, so get your kind of like thinking on what you'd like to ask. Um, so young adult obviously changes like a whole lot, and we've got the meaning and the meaning of what the term is, as you said, Kirsty, how it's like expanding the age range and what can be in it. Um, where would you like to see it go? Because it's almost like it's building up faster and faster and all this kind of momentum. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to prescribe. Be prescriptive. Um, I like the direction it's moving. The fact that we are not so scared of being political. I mean, all books are political. You know, everything that you write about, there's a decision there that is a commentary on class or gender or sexuality or you know race. So, um, I guess the veneer of neutrality has now been lifted, um, and we're more open to talking about that and embracing it. And I think that's really exciting. I, you know, I think that there's such a I don't like the, the buzzword diversity, but there is more recognition that we need uh, a stronger range of voices now and that we should um, you know, embrace them in and of themselves rather than as just you know, this exotic deviation. So for me, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah I think for me, it's um, everything that Rhonda just said, actually. And also, um, I've, it's funny, I've got two young daughters and I, when I first got published and then... Because uh, the first book I got published as well, um, so I've already mentioned it, but it's dealing with the aftermath of sexual assault. And what seemed to cause more ruckus was the fact, not that the main character had been through that, but then later in the novel meets someone she really likes and actually has an awakening of her own sexuality. And that seemed to be a really problematic. And I thought, that is so screwed up on so many <laughs> levels. So um, it made me really think about what we were allowed to write about and what we weren't. And it, I had at that point, my daughters were really young. And I thought, well, picture books actually push the envelope. And we never at any point think children are stupid. So I don't know why when they suddenly become teens do we have to stop exposing them to ideas and, um, you know, ch I guess challenging them. I think there's a real role for fiction to challenge and it, you don't have to agree with what's being said, but it opens mm. a discussion. And I think so discussion's cool. fantastic and there's nothing wrong with that. So what I like about where we're going, I think, is that that's allowed. And I, I, I just think there's less, to me, why a, perhaps, I don't know, it seems to be when I first came into it, there still seemed to be this vanguard that had very strong views on what choices you should make. And I think now what it is is that you're allowed to discuss and um, share and, and respect other people's choices, and, and, and that's good to me, so. Yeah. Yes, I agree with what these two said. Um, I think these two should keep writing. <laughs> that's the direction, and yeah, it's going really well. I hope it keeps going, and I just hope people don't, I worry about people worrying about expectations. That's the, that's the only thing. I think you've got to write what is true to yourself and not what you think the community needs. Okay, we can do some audience questions then. We've got microphone coming down now, so if you have one, then we'll just hop up to the microphone. Um, try and keep them short, please. Um, and if they have, if you have like a comment or anything, then they will all be signing afterwards downstairs in the bookstore, um, so you can have kind of like your personal reactions there. Steph 
Thank you for that um, very engaging discussion. Uh, I'm currently writing a PhD in young adult fiction and something that I notice a lot, specifically dystopia, uh, but something I notice a lot and it comes back to what we're talking about, about censorship is particularly with these narratives that have female young adult protagonists is the uh, lack of menstruation as an, as an experience of young women. And I, I've often wondered in my discussions with you know, academics and my supervisors if that's a pub, at a publisher level of censorship or it's an author level. And I just wonder if you have any, if that's something you've thought about discussing in your novels and have then thought, oh no, I better not write about that. Or if you have written about them and you've then been kind of told you need to take that out or if you've even ever thought about it before. I have to say that it, that, I, that it hasn't occurred to me to write about it. Sort of, yeah. yeah, I've never even reflected on that mm. absence in the books, mm. even though so many of my books have female protagonists. Mm. I get that a lot. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. the same. And actually, it's really interesting bringing it up. Yeah, I've just hasn't come up in the writing, but I don't. I, I, I don't know if you guys agree. I'm pretty sure a publisher w would support it. You know, if you wanted to write about it, mm. we have. I have. There was a discussion once about peeing, like why. Um, Ellie Marnie once put this on Twitter, like, uh, you know, why aren't um, protagonists allowed to pee? And then we all came back with long lists. Well, I, my character peed in this book, yeah. so it's, it's yeah. menstruation is a really um, probably more topical and interesting, yeah. actually, than peeing, so. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think a publisher would um, um, have a, any problem with it. I think they'd be happy with it. I think it's more self-censorship or not occurring, not occurring to you. But I haven't thought about that before. A friend of mine has become engaged in the moon and she wants to, with the moon, she wants to talk about it more and she's part of that. So that has put it into my mind. So if it ever came up in a book now, maybe it yeah. will, yeah. I bet you it's in all our books from now on. <laughs> we need to get your name so we can acknowledge you for bringing it to our attention. I think there's already like book lists of that and they call it like period fantasy or period fiction or whatever and, then, and they, they literally do just do book lists. So yeah. Questions? This is bizarre. Okay. If there's no more audience questions then I'll just like keep talking I guess. Still got some time. Um, so, oh there is one? Yes, please come up. Um, well, it appears that these days um, the the women, whatever the age they are, they are uh, a biggest part of the readers uh, in in the world, aren't they? So, do you keep that in mind when you're writing? Do you you're targeting? Because uh, you you are all uh, females, and and you kind of write from point of view of your experience. Um, and what you just said about the that you didn't have uh, much of experience of the boys, yeah. Well, how do you how do you tackle? Because what you want to give them, it's the um, it's the point of view of uh, yeah of other people in the world, different genders, and uh, yeah. How how you kind of address that? Well, thanks very much. You can go first. When you asked about, or, um, I think part of the question was about audience and whether you think that you are uh, writing to girls or boys. And I try never to think about who... Targeting, targeting, yeah. No, I try not to think about who I'm targeting. I was on a panel with the author James Maloney not long ago, and he said whenever he's writing um, his young adult books, he imagines there is a 
12 or 13-year-old boy standing right beside him, um, watching him as he writes and listening to him, and he thinks he is telling that person the story. And that, to me, was the most alarming idea imaginable. I could not stand to have an 11-year-old boy watching, judging me, because you already have the voices of, uh, over time, especially the voices of critics and editors get into your head. So I, I feel like a big part of writing, um, the writing process for me is clearing away audience expectations and clearing away the idea of any reader at all. So I'm just telling the characters' stories. So I get to know the characters as much as I can and um, that sometimes is more work than with one book than or with one character than another, especially like you were saying, because there are bo um, when you write about boys or you write about people who you, with whom you do not share much in common, then before I start writing, I will spend a lot of time wandering around trying to have conversations with that character in my head, and or and I take a I, I get a folder for each of my characters and um, spend a lot of time collecting material about them. Um, things that I see in magazines or newspapers and putting it into the folder. Um, and I choose a favorite song for each of the characters and listen to that song before I write the character. So for me, it's, it's never about the audience, it's about the characters and the stories. And then it might become more about the audience. When, I've, when I read through it, when I'm editing the third time, then I might think, then I'm thinking in, then I put myself as a reader. And so at that point, I'm thinking of the audience. So then I can say, this part's boring. I need to edit, cut this part and make it more exciting. And otherwise, I don't think about it until afterwards when sometimes it's surprising. I might think, this is about girls, and so boys probably won't like it when I'm finished. And then I hear that lots of boys are liking it. And then it's the interesting issue of the packaging of the book, because my publishers think I should be writing for girls, because there are lots of girl characters. And so they package them with girls on the cover and maybe pink, and I, each time they do that, I say, no, 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 please don't do that. I would like anybody to read it. And I hear about friends who have boys who are loving the book but have to hide the book inside another cover when they read it in public, which is a different issue. I mean, it's a bigger issue, but that, um, so that's my long answer to your question. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm, I'm, it might sound unbelievable, but I really don't, I would be so um, uh, frozen and um, paralysed by the fear of, of writing with the idea that an audience, that each line is going to be assessed by an audience or that I'm writing to a particular audience. For me, it's a very transcendental experience where I know that the story is going to finish at some point in my life and the story is all there. And for me, it's just... And I'm sure you, you have moments when you write and you feel that someone else is writing the story and you get to the end of a chapter and you think, how did I get there? It just worked so well. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. For me, it's, it's the audience is my characters who I'm creating at the same time and who I feel are speaking back to me. It's a very weird experience and very hard to articulate how it works, but that's, that's honestly how that process goes. In terms of me being a female and writing male characters, I think women generally get that asked that question more than male writers who are given a lot more freedom to dip in and out of you know cultures and genders um and i i feel that it's you know that's the job of a writer that it's sort of it becomes part of our instinct um, that's why we do this because i don't know I, you know we we feel that we we are able to to walk in other people's shoes um I, the only caveat i would put is that my 
that I try to write with an awareness of intersectionality, that I try to write with an awareness of my position, positionality, so that I am thinking about who I'm so-called representing. Um, am I speaking over other people's voices? So I'm trying to be sensitive to that as well. And I think for me, um, yes, yes, yes. And it's that thing um, you do. It's just you, you write what you're really dying to write. I have written my second novel was from the point of view of a 15-year-old um, boy. But um, I I think, and too, that the... the there's a real literal element to that thinking you were touching on, Jackie. The thinking of um, publishers of boys' stories and girls' stories, and I'm just so I'm just so over that. I find that really irritating. I just think there's something wrong with that thinking. Um, and I guess the thing is, one of your first comment was the fact that women are the biggest proportion of the book buying public. Um, and I think, yeah, I wonder why. I, to me, it's, I, I don't know, if there's no evidence to back this up, but I bet you I'm right. It's um, where else are our stories? You know, they're not on film and they're not on television, or not much. So that's, I just think that's why we're, we love books, because we can get stories. You know, there's stories about women as human beings in, in all facets, and we're not seeing that on our screens. So to me, it's not a conscious decision to write um, f female main characters, but on another hand, I think, yeah, there's issues that I want to explore that I'm not seeing explored anywhere else, so that's probably driving it. Hi. Do you think there'll come a time when you won't be able to achieve the voice of the young adult person and that you, you can't relate to young adults anymore and that you need to transfer into adult fiction. Are you saying that we're getting old? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, um, that, so there's an assumption there that we're writing for a young adult audience. I honestly feel I'm just writing about young adults, um, you know, and my, uh, and, and a novel, when you write about young adults, doesn't just contain teenage characters. There are adults in there as well. I mean, there's relationships. That in the end, it's about writing about, you know, books about human beings of all, you know, generations and, and um, sort of um, backgrounds. There, there are certain points, though, where you do need to update about what it means to be an adolescent. So if you look at all of us, I'd say, our earliest books, there would have been very little social media, and now most communication um, is via social media. So there will definitely be you know, tweets and Facebook posts and chatting and Instagram in there, which changes structures of stories as well. Because, the, for example, you know, if, if in an earlier book something happens at school, my friend, you know, the character will go home, people won't know about it um, perhaps until the next day at school or via a phone call. That was, you know, does may look big in this. Now people know about it instantly because of social media. So you, the whole way that you approach your writing changes. So if I, if I don't up, keep up to date with that, then yeah, then I think I would lose touch with what it means to be an adolescent. But, the, um, but in terms of my attraction to writing stories that explore, adole explore adolescence. Um, I'm still very much, for me, that, that is the world that I love to write about. I've written for adults, or books you know, set in an adult context, which um, you know, I wouldn't go back to. I, I much prefer sitting in the adolescent world, working through that. Um, 
Yeah, it's a good it's a good question because I find that I also I agree I love being in the adolescent world and um, that difficulty of keeping up to date I think that was partly why it was a relief to write a fantasy trilogy yeah. because I didn't have to worry about that because you put Facebook in and then the kids all say I'm not on Facebook we don't do Facebook anymore so <laughs> it's like like keeping up with slang and colloquialisms and yeah. I'm trying to cover that and but I find. I love writing about young adults, but I also love uh, the, um, I usually have an adult book that I'm writing at the same time as I'm writing YA fiction, and that is the relief from that intensity of, because there is in, in the young adult world, there is a kind of intensity, that's what I'm drawn to, that the passion and the, um, and the development and the interactions between young people and other young people, and for me, I need to every now and then write about grown-ups, partly because that's you want to tell the stories that are happening in your own life too. So I want I I usually have a grown-up book going at the same time, and that's my outlet in a way. But I always come back to it. And I think someone said it's because you had a bad time when you were a teenager. You get stuck at that time. I don't know if that's why you and so you just jammed in. So if you went to if I went to therapy for a while and worked through my teenagers, <laughs> then it might all go away and I might not be able to write anymore. Yeah, my answer is I don't know um, because for me it's like there's always stories lined up that I want to write. So at the moment there's at least two lined up that would still be from a, a young adult perspective. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, it's, to me what's so attractive about it is, um, and I love how you were saying too, it's your writing... Um, the story of young adults rather than for young adults, mm. which, yeah, I would agree with that as well in terms of my own writing. Um, it's also, as Jackie was saying too, it's the intensity and it's the immediacy of everything that's happening when you're that age. I think it's really attractive. You're very, very alive. And I love that because in the story, in writing it, I feel like it's, um, there's nothing hidden and there's nothing cynical, which is also something personally I really enjoy because I don't I don't do sarcasm or irony in real life very well it's I am as I am that's it um, so yeah I think it's just as long as the stories are there you can keep doing it um, yeah Thank you all for an interesting discussion I wanted to pick up something that um, Rando had said about the word diversity um, and that you didn't like it and I was thinking about the we need diverse books mm. campaign, and um, if you could just expand on that. Yeah, no, I, I just think that, um, of course, it's sort of as a, um, a catchphrase and as a goal, of course, I'm 100% behind it. We definitely need a diverse, you know, a different, broader range. For me, it's more um, if we, if it's just about having more books um, but othering those books and seeing them as that exotic deviation, that's problematic. If we are using the white character as the universal standard and these are all the alternative cultures you can dip in and out of, um, uh, that for me is problematic. So it's just trying to be a bit more, you know, a bit more aware of what we mean by diversity. Is it actually about seeing, you know, who do we raises the yardstick of the normal. Because, you know, I've, I've had it in one review, someone saying, oh, you know, this is a great book, but let's hope Rhonda's next book will, will now talk about, um, you know, um, will more ordinary um, characters in the, in the normal um, community, as, as though, you know, I had, you know, done the margins. And for me, that's the issue. So can we really problematise what, what, who do we 
consider as the yardstick, the universal character that for me. So we just need to be more sophisticated about diversity, um, you know, yeah. Thank you very much. It's been really wonderful. Um, I, you mentioned something about film earlier and someone here was talking about doing the PhD in dystopia and stuff. Uh, it just got me thinking about uh, what has been popular in YA uh, internationally, especially in America. Um, I often run into this issue when talking to people who are sort of outside, like don't read it, that they have this very specific image of what it is. It's a very specific type of story. Uh, it's a very specific type of character, uh, main female character strong female character. Um, and um, I just was wondering if you think that, that that sort of, the popularity of that has been a good thing because it shows that there's actually a wide audience for YA or whether it's been sort of limiting in terms of what people expect your books to be about. Thanks. I think it's limiting in that people always wonder why you haven't written a big bestseller yet, like <laughs> for me particularly. No, I think it's, um, it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I know um, sometimes I get a bit frustrated because um, at other festivals there sometimes there's a tendency just to talk about the American all the time and I just find that annoying because I think we've just got some amazing, you know, Australian, we've got a, amazing Australian YA literature and also some of the people there are reading it so why can't we spend some time talking about that as well? That's probably my frustration with it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's always the issue of, I've, there's always the balance between the big best-selling hits are, can be great like Harry Potter was because there are people finish those books and then they want more books. It brings people into reading who don't read and so the big like Fault in Our Stars and Divergent Series and Hunger Games, all of that have got people reading but at the same time um, a lot of them are just, a lot of the reading then goes to those books and so the bestseller lists get crowded out by those particular books and people who might otherwise have been able to say I was on the bestseller list can't do it because they're full of those books and that's what the ideal is. And then there's all the people writing articles saying you should be embarrassed to be reading young adult books, keep these articles, keep coming out and they're all focused on these books and saying this is um, not and, and that so we always have to I w I'm, I'm not even cranky with them anymore. It's just exhausting because it's, anybody can read what they want to and mm -hmm. they are wonderful books. And the love, what you were saying about, Kirsty was saying about the love of YA movement seemed to have made quite a big difference. A lot of mm -hmm. bookshops are putting um, OzYA yeah. displays and there's more focus on it. And I always feel guilty about that though and I feel like I should not be allowed to be on a Love OzYA panel because the night that that movement was um, started, I was there in Melbourne. It was a, a list had come out of the most popular YA books and that had been borrowed from the library and they were all almost, there was only one Australian YA book, all the rest were American or English. And so there were a group of Australian young adult writers who, yes, exactly, who, were, um, who decided let's, have a dinner and talk about what we can do. Let's start a campaign to deal with this issue. And I was in Melbourne for a conference then. I was standing on a street corner talking to these young adult Australian writers and they were saying, come to dinner with me. And I was trying to decide whether to go to dinner with them and talk about that or to go back to the hotel and hang out with international young adult writers. Mm -hmm. And I chose the international writers. Oh. <laughs> 
you, you have to leave the panel. You are representing yeah. Australian YA in a wider circle. That's right. <laughs> I always feel like I have to confess that. Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to throw you out or something. Linda, <laughs> did you have a comment on that's that? That's all right. No, okay. Do we have... I think that's right on two... Yes, that... We're right on 2.15, so I'll follow the guidance of the volunteers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering um, what uh, what is in your life, in your uh, personal uh, experience, that prompts you um, kind of to explore this particular uh, age group, <laughs> as you say. And uh, um, is it something that you think you will outgrow one day and start writing about something else? I mean, how how that sort of because we, uh, uh, we know that everyone has their own way of vision and uh, the personal story that reflects in, in the creativity. Well, thanks very much. I think for me, um, that teenage years were very volatile and I had one hell of a family situation going on and it was very chaotic. So. But balancing that, I had incredible friends and very, very, and I had a mixed group of um, male and female friends, and they were extremely kind, and I'm still friends with them to this day. And I feel like for me, in that sense, it represents what, in a more compressed way, what the rest of life's been like, because sometimes things hit you for six and you don't expect them, and other times it's just the comfort that you get from your friends and family that keep you going. So it's that, there's a tenderness, I think, in writing about that age group for me that I return to all the time and I'm still, I don't know if I've ever grown up, I still feel like I'm grappling, <laughs> I still don't know who I am, I'm trying to work it out. So I'm still grappling with a lot of the same issues but um, probably with a bit more experience under my belt, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, so, and as to writing, as to growing up, I don't know, maybe, but I think I'll just write other things as well, like Jackie does and Rhonda has as well. I think this just means that you might try a few other things as well as a compliment to it. Well, all I can say is just my, my memory of adolescence is, um, you know, I don't think I've ever, you know, loved as passionately or hated as passionately. And, and for me, that's just the, the most amazing territory to work with the story. Um, that sort of the human experience and the intensity, as you said, it's just the, I don't know what attracts me to, to writing about that age. I, I do feel vividly and viscerally my adolescence still and I, the memory of it still, I can, you know, taste it, I can remember it so vividly and I, I just feel that putting that along with the social commentary and the issues that I'm really passionate about, for me, is a space that I just want to work, work in for as long as I can. Uh, yeah, I agree with those things. And I guess I had the opposite of Kirsty in that I had a, a great stable family and a really difficult time at school where I, I basically stopped speaking for a couple of years at school. And so in a way, my, I'm just, my, I didn't speak, so I need to speak now about those years. But I, um, then I was doing a PhD in media law and looking a lot about the rights of um, young adults um, to, for self-expression and reading a lot of cases about young people who had bad times at school and terrible family situations and so many cases where I was overwhelmed by the strength and courage of these people because I always knew I've, I can go home from school to my family and um, just thinking of these young people and 
trying to demand their rights to speak when they are 14 and they've got hell at home and hell that sort of, un yeah. So that's why I was drawn, I think, to, to write about them at that, um, when, I, when I was doing the PhD. Okay, that's the end of this Lovell's Way panel. Can we give a thanks to Kirsty, Jacqueline and Rhonda? I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation from the 2017 Newcastle Writers' Festival. We hope you can join us this year from Friday, April the 6th to the 8th. We have 130 of Australia's best writers coming to town ready to share their ideas and insights. For more information, please visit newcastlewritersfestival.org.au.